0: Hello, friends. How's it going? It's Matt. You're listening to episode 146 of the Looking Sideways Action Sports podcast. It's the show where I try and cover the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related endeavors. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoy the episode. 146, another milestone looms. Exciting stuff, eh? If it's your first time listening, Have a look at the back catalogue, the show notes for this episode at www.wearelookingsideways.com. There's a lot of stuff on there. Hope you enjoy it. All right. This week's guest, somebody, and I know I say this a lot, I've been trying to book for literally years. I first asked him to come on the show ahead of the California trip, which was unbelievably two years ago now. Couldn't make that happen. Then we were going to do it last summer at the beginning of the lockdown one period, as I believe it's now known. But Salema ended up being extremely busy for reasons we discussed during this conversation. Anyway, I kept plugging away and we finally made it happen at the very beginning of January, 2021. And I've got to say, it was really worth the wait. This is just a great chat with one of the most switched on people in action sports, as you'll know if you follow Salema on Instagram. If you don't know him, He's a presenter, a broadcaster, announcer, podcaster, musician, the list goes on. He's also just a brilliant mind, which is really on display in this free-flowing and hugely enjoyable conversation. I talked a lot at the end of the last episode about what I'm looking for in a guest, which did provoke a bit of uh, debate after that one. And yeah, this one with Salema really hit the sweet spot. One thing I'm going to say before we get into it, well actually two things I'm going to say before we get into it. Uh, We had a bit of a mic situ, so Salama ended up recording his side of the conversation using his uh, laptop mic, but it still worked. It's all good. And then we recorded this two days before the Capitol Hill riot which instantly made a lot of the things we spoke about a little bit out of date, notably the section where we kind of jokingly discussed the idea of a civil war being imminent in the States. Yeah, it's that kind of chat. Anyway, then the events of January the 6th happened. So I followed up by asking Salema to record me a few thoughts as a postscript, which he kindly did, and which I've tacked on to the end of the episode just before Housekeeping Corner. So make sure you keep an ear out for that one. I'll be back at the end with more of the usual housekeeping corner business, or HKC, as some diehards have started to call it. But in the meantime, here's me and Salema. Enjoy. It's uh, it's the shed. It's the lockdown shed. <laughs> Everyone's always like, you're in a sauna um and i've had the heater on i've had the heater on for a while so it's feeling a bit like a sauna no but it's literally just the shed um it was the classic like me and my wife when when it when it when it became obvious i was gonna have to work from home for the rest of the year you know and i do a lot of these a lot of zoom calls as you you probably have been doing this year um and we just thought yeah let's let's sort the shed out so I've got a little little day bed in there little uh, little fridge little desk bookshelf um yeah it's worked out all right I mean it's been that was in the middle of summer so obviously now it's the fourth of January and probably minus two outside so I had to get a, had to get a heater from somewhere pretty quickly but yeah man it's working out all right nice to mix it up isn't it when you're working you know from like is i this on my bedroom the whole time so i kind of switched between the two
1: you know what's funny is that like i remember when this thing started and it was like oh well it'll be like six weeks eight weeks tops maybe three months and we'll get back to it and it came from such an ignorant place of like no comprehension at all of of, of how infectious disease works and, you know, human spread and, and what it means for something to land, become a part of us and then leave. Um, and to be where we are now, like you said, January 4th from March 13th, when which is when I, that, it was a fr- I think it was a Friday. I think that there was a Friday the 13th, that March 13th. And I came home from being on the road for like six weeks, and everything shut down. Um, it's so strange. What a what a what a strange deal. And here we are. We're going right back into like another championship round of the thing.
0: Yeah, I think we've got. I mean, I'm expecting this will last over here now till the end of March. I would have thought um yeah and you know it's funny you say that about the fact that we were all so ignorant about what it actually meant because obviously there are people around who aren't ignorant about it who've um spent their lives like studying these things and it's been like that perfect storm hasn't it of like this a hugely complicated situation that's affecting everybody's lives and the age of like we don't want to trust experts we don't give a shit we're just gonna like do our thing and and like you know the age of the instant expert let's put it that way especially on social media and it's been it's been you know even just as one example you know like last week or maybe two weeks ago so we started rolling out the vaccine here and tony blair pops up as he often does and started talking about how they should stagger the the gap between the vaccines they should they should inject more people on the first wave so that you so that more people get a get a lower amount of immunity if that makes sense um and obviously that was a huge thing because there's all this like anti-vax stuff as well but everyone's like what like why is he why is he saying that like he can't he can't just say that and then and then obviously it transpires that his foundation has been involved with vaccination projects for for years it's actually quite a well-known thing that people that 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 sometimes they do recommend that and now our government has actually said they're going to do that but it's just one of those examples of an issue where hugely complicated massive field experts studying it for years you know no one's got a clue but everybody's like well you can't do that like that doesn't feel right to me and it's it's almost been you know the perfect example of that modern tendency, hasn't it?
1: I mean, the greatest gift of the internet was that everybody got a voice. The greatest curse of the internet is that everybody got a voice. And here we are now trying to figure out what, what that means as, I mean, You can legitimately walk around and say that you're a flat earther, and people will be like, "Okay, well, that's an opinion you're entitled to," as opposed to, "What the fuck fuck are you talking about?" Like, (laughs) (laughs) no, but that's just how you know that person is allowed to, to to think they they've they've earned that right. Like, oh, okay. I had a friend yesterday. Someone who's dear to me He called me and he said, you know, he's someone who's who can get caught uh, into the, uh, the the pull of of conspiracy and like alternative theory to the point where he stops. He doesn't trust fact at all, and he just wants to, like, pick out bits of what might be true in in all these things that people are talking about. And I said to him, "I said, do you hear yourself? Like nothing that you're saying now has anything to do with where we're actually at." And he said, "Well, it's not. That's not really what it is." I said, "It is what it is." I said, "Because now you're speaking strictly from a place of of uh, of, of of fantasy and idea." And I said, are we going to implement all these little bits and pieces of what you've just discussed that are noble, but that don't have any, like, they're not rooted in anything. Are we going to make that the thing that we run on for 350 million people? He was saying to me that his, his mom is 71 years old. And she said to him, well, you know, if I, if I, I'm not going, I've made the decision that I'm not going to get to the virus because I'm healthy. And if I do get the virus... That I'm going to survive, and he's like, "Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that powerful?" I said, "Yes." Positive mental attitude and self belief, and you know, vib- vibrating at a place of health and doing all the things to like foster that. Yes, but you're saying that that should be our national policy, and that everyone should get back to their lives if they only believe that they're not going to get the thing. And at the same time, you're saying to me. People who are over sixty-five years of age should probably not leave the house.
0: Yeah, it's not. It's not a strategy.
1: <laughs> no, it's a feeling. I, I yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I, I'd love for that to be true, but that's not a fucking strategy. And <laughs> ever, I feel like I, I, I don't know about you, but in the beginning of this, there was this very, this very brief period where everyone stopped and pressed pause we were no longer in the rat race because the rat race no longer exists and everyone got woken up to like some real truths about themselves that they had either um conveniently being been avoiding or weren't aware of that this time forced them to have to take real root in and people started building sort of real community and reaching out to those that they hadn't been and engaging in self-reflection. And it felt like empathy might be making a comeback.
0: Yeah. For about a week. <laughs> for about a week,
1: Right. And then, um, a bunch of people said, well, you know, we got to get back to, 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 to what we were. And people were like, yeah, what was I thinking about how I feel and who I am? I want to get back to what life was. And it, it it's like a a two two sets of of, of it feels like people just said i'm going to be amongst the group who's trying to get back to to where we were or what things were and then there's another group who are like i'm just going to be right here and where i'm at like that's all i can do and then there's another group who's like strictly in the future and that's kind of what it feels like um and all those, all those, those forces are all like trying to, trying to win the game.
0: Yeah, there was, there was a moment where you felt, obviously in hindsight, extremely naively, particularly in this country, because they were actually, you know, for a few weeks there, they were pretty visionary, quite early on. You know, they, that, the, the, with the, the, you know, the income scheme they brought in for people to protect jobs. You know, they did, they did bring in these like fairly seismic policies that had never been you know we'd had nothing like that in years like ever in history in this country and 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 you did think like because obviously there's the thing about this situation is it's it's been almost like designed to reveal every fault line in your society and system of government and economy hasn't it i mean it couldn't have been more perfectly designed to do that you know any issue that you've got baked in has has come out this year hasn't it and you did you did think for a minute like ah maybe they're gonna look at this (laughs) maybe maybe rampant you know globalized capitalism isn't the best way for us all to live and maybe maybe that's but yeah that lasted about uh, i probably lasted a couple of months didn't it the idea that there might be a serious look at change but as you say then it just became like nope we've got to get the economy going and fuck everyone else and let's just get on with it really but a question i want to ask you about that though is is the question of leadership because you know, we're both, both our countries, I think my politics are fairly obvious to listeners of this podcast. And my view is that we, we are cursed with the worst possible leadership at the worst possible time, because you, it has been possible to show good leadership and to, and to to take populations with you. You know, there's, there's quite a few, you know, New Zealand's the obvious one, but quietly a lot of countries have managed it well. And that's been down to like, you know, coherent strategized central government and, and planning (laughs) essentially, you know, like, like not, not being reactive, not just going, oh, well, we'll do whatever the least popular, sorry, the most popular decision is. Do you think that without, with stronger leadership, there could have been a different outcome? Because obviously that's a huge debate in itself right now, isn't it?
1: I feel like, I, at least in, a, in here in America, I feel like our leadership is only symptomatic of the underlying sort of essence of 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 America. Um, Americans have been bred to feel that they are exceptional; that we are exceptional by default, like just. Waking up in this country gives you a superpower. Before you even leave the house, you know, being American in and of itself is is a superpower. It allows you to to dodge and and have most things that are happening in the world have not had to apply to you. You get to watch from afar with all the, for the most part, the bad things that are happening in the world. Um, that's at least how how we're taught. And um, also, like, here's all the rad shit that America has done and is kick-ass that um, that you get to embody just because you live here. And so whatever our things are, you know, homelessness, um, the economic disparity between the rich and the poor and the shrinking of the middle class, middle class those are things that people have sort of been able to, it feels like ignored just because like America's just the shit. And so at the end of the day, like, yeah, we might have these things that are whatever, but we're the shit because America. So something like this comes along and says, yeah, none of that is true. But our leadership literally like embodies that. Like you're an American and actually even more than you're an American, you're a white Christian, straight American. Male, and everyone else should um, walk in your footsteps if they want to be. If they want to be like, if they if they emulate you, then we're better for it. So walk tall. Um, and so to have to have leadership that literally just doubled down on that. That said, like fuck the facts. We're America. Go out and live your lives. Feed the economy, etc. You're bigger than the. We're bigger than the disease or your freedom, hmm. <laughs> your fr- freedom, your f- freedoms are bigger than any disease. That's literally like you've, the freedom is the vaccine is is essentially what the first six months of debate was here. Um, I don't think it helped us at all. It just fanned the flame for people who are just, it's just really easy to run to, to by default be like, yeah, we're America. Um, and it, that's, it's been baffling to watch, but I, I, yeah, I don't don't think we could have had it at, uh, any worse a time.
0: And how one, one thing I wonder looking at from the outside though, is, you know, when will too much be too much though? Because obviously at some point you would think that, that American exceptionalism that you describe is going to be, well, I mean, that's what the whole. There's been plenty of examples in the states this year, is not there, of of that that essential myth being, you know, being f- not found out, but like, you can't really ignore the fact that it's only it's only true for a certain part of American society, you know. There's been and there's been endless examples of of conflict around that throughout American history, obviously, but this year it's particularly been acute but it just seems that it just becomes more and more entrenched like you know the worse it gets the more entrenched it gets the more the more people double down and you know like you would think actually at some point it's gonna be like Well oh, fuck me there's only a million people dead here like what we can you know or do, you, do you, but do you do you think it's I guess the, I don't even really know what I'm trying to ask you. I guess, like, my question is quite a big one: <laughs> How sustainable is that? Is that divide? You know, is is because it obviously started with the Civil War, and you know, it's been going on ever since. Let's be honest, for the last nearly two hundred years. And you know, where where it where can it possibly end? Like, that's that's what seemed for, as an observer that that's what seems very alarming about what's going on in America right now. Like I listened to Rich Roll a bit ago and he was, they were openly chatting about him and Adam Skolnick. They were, but they were, they were using the word civil war. You know, they were, they were saying like, wouldn't be surprised if there's another civil war at this rate. Yeah. That's like, that's like a, that's a pretty horrifying thought, isn't it? Like, so. It's the most horrifying it,
1: thought.
0: It, but is it, is that, is, is, can the can the divide be healed? There you go. I was like, just just that question to ask you. twenty minutes in
1: I wonder honestly, um if the divide can be healed it um i mean the, the manner in which each day a certain sector of this country doubles down to say no we're i mean right now our country is literally saying like. Be even the idea of of honoring or or the greater part of the um, American population coming into an understanding that like yes you live in quote unquote the best country in the world that was also founded on like horribly evil and shitty principles and did a bunch of really bad things that still affect us today um and we need to the idea that we accept that and that we bake that into our education system so that we can be better for a lot of people in this country that actually is like that that's that's the most un-american thing possible so we have people that are literally doubling down and saying like the founding fathers were perfect whatever mistakes were made were super small but none of which are uh, sustained today in society and those are people who um are bitching and complaining, and are our victims, and America is bigger than that. Yay, us! And it's it's weird. I never thought for for sure. I, I didn't think that there would be a, a a president in my lifetime who would propose like a, a a a a patriotism course to be taught in schools that would diminish diminish slavery's role. <laughs> You know that would like paint history to the or that would or that would like diminish um, the the wiping out of Native Americans um, or you know any of the of the number of, of 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 real horrible things that like economically benefited this country. I never thought there would be a president who would say like that's what we need to teach in schools. You know, like when the sixteen nineteen project, like I sure as I sure as hell didn't think that when. The, the 1619 project came out via the New York Times and had the impact that it did, I surely did not think that conservatives would get together and say, we have got to figure out a way to discredit this at the core so that people will literally be afraid of it and not even touch it because people are getting poisoned by this truth and we got to turn this tide around. I think the one of the greatest things the great things about—not even great isn't even the right word—but when the Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd um, momentum really took took hold in this country in the midst of a pandemic, um, and people started to the 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 far right started to see that like. People who never thought about these things before suddenly were curious and willing to understand like, oh, there's some things that I weren't taught that affect um, who I am and who we are. And I want to learn better and do better um, because I'm aware of my privilege. Um, I didn't think that, that there would be like a campaign to like undermine all that. And that's really what's taking place, like an active campaign to tell people that um, they have no reason to 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 feel for anyone else other than themselves. Um, and that's scary. Now, I see a lot of people that are, regardless, that are doing the work and, and you see allies that are doing the work and I feel like the movement is, is really moving, but I... I never thought that there would be such a coordinated effort from, from our government to be like, we got to squash, squash that.
0: Um, yeah. I, I, I was personally very naive about that. Like I, I, I sort of went, you know, in June when everyone was posting the black squares and, you know, everyone in our little world was, was doing it. And, and I did a an episode with a black friend of mine and we, talked about who's who works in, in the industry over here and we had a long conversation about about that and I remember saying to him like I thought everyone knew about white privilege. <laughs> I thought <laughs> I thought it was really obvious. Like how, how can anyone deny this? How can anyone deny and and six months later it's like oh wow fuck me. Not only do people de- not only people not know about it. Like they're actively engaged in trying to like suppress the very notion. You know, like, and it, and it has, it has been, I mean, I'm white, so, you know, like it's different for me obviously, but it, it's been, it's been pretty horrifying. I mean, you know, over here, they're like trivial, trivial example, but all the soccer players in the premier league take a knee, you know, now, and there's people booing it. There's the, in, in the stands, like there's, you know, white idiots in this country. are haven't got a fucking clue about it. And that's obviously been in the news quite a lot. And when they're interviewing these people, they're saying like, well, we don't agree with the Marxist ideology of, uh, of black lives matter. <laughs> I'm like, you don't fucking know. Karl Marx is <laughs> like, like you, 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 literally, you literally get, you literally getting that because you've read it and it's being actively put out there as like a thing when it's just obviously total bullshit. <laughs> but that's what's happening
1: and it's the same thing here you know um i love when all of a sudden people are like you know starts spewing about marxism and then you're like you ask them like tell me more about uncle carl and they're like well um uh and and that's the thing like if you wake up and you were born on i, I get I, a baseball reference would would not work but i guess. Um, if you wake up, and you were born like, I'll use a soccer pitch as an example. If you wake up right, and you're uh, on 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 offense, and you're born inside the box, of on the pitch, right? The idea that your game suddenly needs to start from the other side of the field to make your way into the box to create opportunity to score a goal. S- s- starts to feel like someone's taking something away from you. Like what do you mean like I got to start back there like I was born off sides but that doesn't mean anything like it's just how things are. And you know here that's how people always, we use the, I use the baseball analogy is like being born on third base and you just it's, just it's just it's a short stroll home to the home plate. Um but the other other people are literally like trying to get into the stadium to watch the game let alone be on the field. And people can't—they can't comprehend that—and the idea of others getting access um, and being on the same playing field starts to feel like something is literally being taken away from them, and that scares the fuck out of them. So, far better to find a some fake reason to think ill of of equity than to be someone who wants to champion it, which is. I mean, it goes back to like a, the the concussion of colonialism, I like to call it, like people being v- very much concussed as to what that was and that we are a result of it.
0: Yeah. I mean, Britain, Jesus, like the whole, the whole of our wealth is built upon colonialism and slavery. And you suggest that we might want to pull a statue down or like consider the fact that all the stately homes around the country were you know from sugar plantations and the caribbean i suddenly everyone's like whoa 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 we're not going to talk about that <laughs> wait, wait, wait slow down wait, wait. What talking-
1: yeah what do you mean there was a gulag in kenya come on that, that was that was so long ago um but back to your point about like civil war like do i think that people will be willing i think a small sector of people in this country are ignorant ignorant enough that they'd be willing to, like, to die for, I, I don't even consider it ideals. I don't even think they know what they would be willing, that they'd be dying for. They'd be willing to die for an idea of what their version, I guess, of, of, of what um, America is. Um, but gosh, like, this is a short time that we all have in these bodies roaming this earth in the midst of like infinite space in every other direction. So I'm always puzzled that anybody wants to like do anything to cut it short. um, Based in conflict with others, I can see like making a mistake, having too good of a time um, or, you know, the other things that we all suffer from at a mental, emotional, physical level that that can cut life short. But the idea of like one in the pickup arms and go fight for something that's not yours and an idea that the world will look like what you want it to be for the rest of your being here, that shit is fucking crazy to me. Like I just, (laughs) I wanna like, I wanna have, enjoy my life. I wanna enjoy being here. And I like to be curious about like who's next door or across the street or around the corner or how we might be able to help those people in a manner that might aid them to have some mon- more joy in their existence too. That's how I was raised. You know, my my parents came to America from my father came from South Africa, my mother from Haiti. Um, both, you know, fleeing political unrest, both fleeing situations that didn't allow them to live their whole existence. Um, and so they came here and my, my, my dad ironically came, like he left apartheid and came straight into like the beast of, uh, the civil rights and was like, well, fuck me. (laughs) 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 Um, but that's what they, that's what they raised me on, you know, and, and they, they taught me to have pride for my history and, and, and what my, my ancestors and family had been through, but they also didn't raise me to have any sort of, um, cultural chauvinism, you know, they, 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 they they raised me to have pride in, in where I came from, pride in my culture, but not to think of what we come from, um, and what makes us, us to be better than anyone else. Instead, they taught me to be extremely curious about what makes everyone else who they are and to marvel at that and just, you know, and want to learn more and maybe even like learn some shit from them that can make you better. That's how I was raised. Um, and I'm so grateful for that. And I feel so sorry for people who have been raised, um, taught that fears is some sort of is pride. That fear is some sort of pride in existence. Um, and the idea of like getting to know these other people and their customs or and and what makes them who they are won't serve you at all. Um, it's just utterly, it's utterly baffling to me. And, and, and it just, it feels like a fucking waste of time. Like a massive, massive waste of existence relative to like how short a time we have here.
0: Where where do you think they got that strength from? Because that is that is the, the thing that just struck me when you were talking. Then is like the mag magnanimous is the wrong word, really. But like you know that to 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 have that positivity and strength to sort of have that attitude, having gone through what they went presumably went through. I you know I wouldn't obviously know the specifics, but certainly know a little bit of the history of both those countries. That that takes a lot of strength, doesn't it, to 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 sort of rise above bitterness and and like you say, pride and to to communicate that to you in such a way. Like where do you think they got that strength from to, to sort of keep that at the forefront? I mean my my,
1: my father especially, he just he loved life so much. And he was a relentlessly curious person. And he never, he never ever could come to the idea that like the worst of a certain group of people was the definition of that group of people. He just refused to believe it. He thought, well, that's bullshit. And somehow or another, even when it came to to something like apartheid, I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that like growing up before he left South Africa, he, he was making music with lots of white kids that wanted to make music with him and they loved making music together and um, they did everything they could to fight against the thing. So he learned early on that like, it's not everyone, but it is, it, it is, a, it is the most sort of powerful end of the voice. And so, but it wasn't the definition for him. And I I think it was similar with my mom, you know, my grandmother, especially my mom came here younger, but my grandmother was the same way coming from Haiti. Um, She was just happy to be here. And she was, she loved like sharing her culture and making food for people and teaching them about Haiti. Um, And she loved like learning about the other immigrants uh families in our neighborhood and like stirring the pot like that's just how i got to grow up as a kid before i moved um from from new york to to new england and then the west coast where i was i suddenly didn't have access um to a bunch of people who thought that way
0: really right Do you, you notice the difference
1: oh definitively such when i moved especially like when i moved from New York to to New England like to Massachusetts it was much much different it was very 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 white and um the 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 immigrant populations in those places were people who identified as white and it was actually really it was funny to listen to them like talk shit on each other like portuguese people and italian etc like wow that's crazy <laughs> um <laughs> And then, you know, when I moved to California, like everybody was white and it was a utopia. It was like, I moved to Southern California beach culture in the eighties, which was super white and super blonde hair and blue eyes. And like, we don't have a care in the world and everybody wants to be us. And, you know, here I come, like I was, there was, I was in a school of like 2000 plus kids in my, when I got to my high school. Two of those other kids looked like me, in the entire school, uh, and and people had no knowledge of anything other than where they lived. Most people were were not they weren't well traveled, and they weren't doing anything in their schools to sort of educate about culture, like like the investigation of culture and celebration of of uh, the diversity of our of our planet. Let alone like our country was just not something that people were talking about and that's which was the exact opposite of how I grew up like I grew up being taught to be curious and here's why and here's the different foods that we're going to eat and here's what makes all of these people special that was just part of how I was raised and it was also part of how I, I grew up even within our education system as a kid in the 70s and 80s in New
0: York City so how did you balance that very probably obvious need to want to fit in as a new place with also that presumably voracious curiosity that was part of you because every kid has that you know whatever whatever group whatever, whoever you are in the world you know you've got oh I'm not I don't want to be different <laughs> don't let them know I'm different you know but you know, you have to try and protect your own personality and but also try and be part of the group it's just I mean, it's humans as well, but it's particularly cute when you're a kid. It sounds like that was probably quite difficult. So how how did you how did you cope with that?
1: Well, I, I it's I did everything I could to try to fit in immediately. Um, I wanted to I, not to even fit in. I wanted to get accepted. I mean, you're 16. You you know it's 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 super formative. You're still trying to get a sense of yourself. You're you're making this investigation into manhood, hormones are going crazy, et cetera. Like, so you're like, you get to a place and you're like, okay, how do I get like these guys to think I'm cool? And those cute girls over there to think I'm cute. (laughs) Um, And it turned out that surfing um, was, was that thing for me. That's what all the kids did. It was what my community really uh, revolved around as far as a lifestyle and, and culture it was, it was, it was like the arts almost, you know, it was what was generationally passed down. And as soon as I started surfing and and got in the ocean, I caught the reason, like I, at a soul level, like, oh, this is more than just a thing that you do. This is something that like fuels your being. And I want to, I want, I want to do everything I can to build relationship with this thing. So initially it was like, Oh, that's what everyone does here. I've seen this. It looks cool. I wanna be a part of that, but then I did it, and it was like i wanna i wanna to get to know this part of me as a person i wanna I'm in and I think that um it confused a lot of the kids that i that i that I went to school with and grew up with um you know they kids would literally say to me like you're a different kind of black guy." because you're more like us because you do what we do. That's cool. Like we're down for that. Cause you're not like the black people we see on television or on, on MTV, like pat on the back. You know, or, you know, you, you meet a girl, you see a girl in school that you like and you go up to her friend and you're like, Hey, what's up with your friend, such and such. Oh, really? You think she's cute? Yeah, she's cute. All right, well, let me talk to her. I mean, I got to see if she's into black eyes first, of course, but uh I'll get back to you. And that was just a part of like your normal shit as as a teenager. And you just, you just left sit standing there like, huh? Um So yeah, it was it was a very very interesting dance. And I gave up a lot of myself for a few years to fit in and think each time, well, now they're going to finally accept me or see me. And then I got to a certain point where I realized like, oh, they're never going to, they're never going to understand you and what makes you different. Um, And they're sure as hell not going to accept you because they don't even know how to see you. So stop trying to, stop trying to please everybody and just do you.
0: Did that drive you in certain ways? That that realization, because you know, obviously, I look at your success. I'm I'm going to say ambition, which is quite a presumptuous, you know, quite a presumptuous word to use on my part. But I'm kind of thinking that somebody who's achieved what you've achieved across so many different levels must have an element of ambition in their character. Um, and drive is obviously something that you clearly possess. Um, so. Do you think those parts of you were catalyzed by this conflict that you're describing?
1: I think they were definitely catalyzed, but I think for me, it was less ambition and more like belief that my dreams, like the the, the ability to like maximize the things that I loved were, were a possibility. I mean, I just never, that's wanted. a
0: good, that's a good ambition. <laughs> yeah.
1: I guess, I guess if that was my ambition, like that was what. Yeah. It was
0: like. that, that's kind of mine as well. How could I do this more often? <laughs> yeah. How could,
1: how could, how could, how could I avoid what I saw was the trappings of my friends who were coming home from college, getting jobs, getting married Getting nest eggs that um, their parents had been saving for them, uh, only on the condition that they got married, got a uh, uh, maybe got a house, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and then seeing what happened to them and how they aged young. They aged quickly and they aged young, and they the joy seemed to be minimal. And the most fun they seemed to be having was when I saw them at the bar. And I was like, "Yeah, that's not for me yeah i like I was terrified of even that level of responsibility, <laughs> like when your your friends start getting married some of them in their first wave in their early twenties, and I was just like, What I, <laughs> not for me so yeah it was it was about how do I stay close to this thing? This is what gives me joy, and I got lucky enough to f- to, to get an opportunity where I got a job, my initial first job that sort of changed everything was at Transville Snowboarding and Skateboarding Magazine, um, just as an intern and receptionist. But it was like, oh, you mean I'm not going to get fired because I want to surf in the morning before work or if work real hard this week and, and we all go snowboarding on Friday, Saturday and Sunday, like everybody's into that? And you guys all have lives and professions and, oh, you're in marketing and you're a writer and you're an editor and you're a photographer and you're, oh, there was like a whole new landscape of my people. Um, And I just threw myself headfirst in. I was like, okay, I don't know where I fit in here, but I know that I'm just as passionate about this thing, if not more so than everybody else here. And I'm going to prove to them that I belong and I, I deserve some opportunities, and that's what I did.
0: Amazing! I got a quick geeky question on that. Did the interns get to write Angry Interns?
1: <laughs> the interns did get to write Angry Interns, but the 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 specifically the the writing, the editorial interns got to. So I was friends with them, like I skated with them and, and hung out with them. Um, but was it was a very prestigious thing to be a part of the Angry Interns. Um, So I was just, I I, I was always like stoked to be like, yeah, well, I I know them. I'm friends with them. They're like, why do you know the Angry Interns? I'm like, yeah, I can't tell you who they are, but I know, I know, I know them. Those are my friends
0: Uh, and
1: it was a blast. So
0: that, so that's how it started. Yeah. So, and and did you, so at that point, were you thinking, you were grabbing that, you were thinking like, yeah, I'm going to try and see if I can make this a longer term lifestyle slash i'm not gonna say job because i don't think at that age anyone starts it thinking like hey i'm gonna make this a career you just kind of like right what's the next opportunity aren't you like how can i you know like what what can i do to sort of take this the next step forward right
1: it was it was about survival for the first few years it was about like keeping the lights on paying the bills and getting to continue to like Supply the habit, which was like shredding, like how to sur- how to continue to surf, how to snowboard, not to skate as much as possible, uh, and still pay my bills. Um, and so whenever a little door did open, and I thought I could fit in there, sometimes it wasn't even a door. Sometimes it was like a window that was kind of like cracked open, and there was a breeze. I was like, ooh, let me see, i can- how do I fit in there? So, you know, that 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 leads to, you know, I was on the phones at Transworld and I was doing some phone sales as well. And then I get a job at Planet Earth. Planet Earth Skateboards is looking for a, a phone sales rep. And I go and interview with Chris Miller, like <laughs> sitting in Chris Miller's office. You know, the, the photo of him uh, doing the the indie at Upland by Grant Britain is behind him. And I'm sitting there in the desk just like trying not to look him in the eye because I can't believe him. I'm in audience uh, with him. But he ends up being as humble and down to earth as possible. And turns out that he's really loves to surf, and no one else at the company likes to surf like he does. And I'm like, well, I'm a super surfer. And we build our friendship and I get a job answering the phones there. And now we're, I'm surfing before work with Chris Miller every day. You know, and then going on the phones um, and calling up, Shops on the East Coast and trying to sell them um, planet Earth skateboards and clothing and then he I took him snowboarding for his first time, and he was blown away um and took to it really, really well and He said he wanted to to develop snowboarding outerwear. I had all the relationships, and so I helped him put together the the snowboarding team. And, um, you know, I got Dave Lee to come ride for, for Planet Earth and plays Rosenthal. And, you know, we got to work on, in, on, on Planet Earth, uh, outerwear. And I got to be the, the, the lead sales guy on that project, as well as like help run the team. And that just came from the three years that I'd put in at Transworld beforehand, you know? So it was these little doors that I'd see and, that during the time where I was just quote unquote trying to survive and stay alive and do the thing, you get to a certain point where you look in briefly in the rearview mirror and you're like, "Oh, I've I've actually acquired some skill sets here that would work there. Like, let me go for that thing. I think I could. Let me see if I can sneak into that door." And that's consecutively what it was.
0: Do you remember a point when you thought, and maybe that point's still not come, um, but where you thought, "Ah, actually, I don't need to get a normal job." you know, this is actually what I'm doing now. Uh, <laughs>
1: I still have, I still have the same mindset as ha- in how I'm approaching my life today. Um, I, I take stock of what I've learned over the, the past few and where I might be able to apply it in a certain direction. And now that's comes with obviously, you know, 20 years of, of broadcasting and, and, and some journalism, etc. cetera. Um, and I, I, it really is continues to what it, it's, it none of how do I, none of it has been aspirational to the point where like, I want to, I'm going to get to that place and do that thing. Um, it's just made sense at the time based on what I've been doing, like which is even like getting on camera, you know, and, and becoming a, a, a commentator. I was just the guy who would you'd, they'd be at a, a shop demo, a skate demo or at a, a, a snowboard contest or a surf contest on the beach or whatever, or, or a trade show, and people would take turns on the microphone. And I love to talk shit, so I would like slid my – I slid in and would get on the mic just so that I could like win the crowd. And then people would be like, hey, you're good at that. You should come to our thing. Or we heard that you killed it at this demo. Do you want to come to our demo and we'll give you like $100 store credit? Um. Or my friends got this little sh- show. They're looking for someone to interview somebody. You should do it. Like not getting paid for it, but like, yeah, that's where I want to be anyway. I want to be at the thing. And so if I got this little way to slide in and be at the thing, then cool. And little did I know that I was acquiring skills that would lead to someone on Madison Avenue deciding, hey, there's these this huge source of untapped um, money coming from this this group of youth in America that are like slowly like they're low key influencing what culture is like, let's everyone go after that. And thus, you know, extreme, everything begins X games, etc. I just happened to be in the right time from being in the industry and also spending some time at the mi- on the mic that, um, when I got my opportunity, when I got my shot to be in front of the camera, I wasn't good at it. I did I mean, I didn't, but I was enthusiastic and I knew how to learn on the fly. And that's what I'm still doing.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that these, that what you just described really perfectly, actually, because I think I always call these episodes where we talk about this, like the life or episodes of the, of the show, you know, like, and it's the common theme, you know, that everyone's making it up. Everyone's, everyone's kind of, the goal is always like, how can I ride more? It's just always is, you know, like whatever, whoever it is, whatever the background, whatever the position now, everybody started there. Everybody followed these little opportunities. No one knew what they were doing and you had to make it up as you went along and suddenly you've got a sort of career and you can ride more. And that was, that was, that was the thing, wasn't it? That's what you would try to do. Um, and you gotta be ready to make a bit of a dick of yourself at points. Like, you know, as, as everybody does in all walks of life, you gotta learn, you gotta make mistakes and you gotta not be worried about about that, if possible, and uh, and just keep keep trucking through, right?
1: You gotta you gotta fail a lot. You, you got you gotta fail like a lot, a lot. And I feel like I I definitely failed a lot. I got fired from or laid off from lots of places. Almost left the industry. Five or six times, where I was just like, "That's it, I'm done. There's no way no one, anyone's gonna hire me," um, and just hustled. But I, I was out on my ass from the industry countless times. But and, and I, I would try and go get real jobs, and then I'd just be like, "Fuck it, man! Throw myself back into the scrum. Like I'm gonna figure out a way how to how to how to get big back in there because that's what makes me happy." Um, being having that access to continue to do the thing that I love, and I'm I'm so I'm so grateful for it. And I honestly, like I cannot believe that here we are, 25 years later, and that I'm still very very much here, still very much here, getting to do it with as much access as I had then, if not more.
0: Yeah, well, it's about a month ago, you put the thing on Insta about the fact you're now on the Burton board of directors, right? I mean that that must have felt like uh, quite quite a milestone. <laughs> I laugh only because of, it's an absurd statement. <laughs> it feels absurd. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing.
1: You it, know it what feels, what an achievement? It feels absurd to me that the you know the guy who answered the phones at Transworld for 6 dollars an hour is now gets to sit on the board of the 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 biggest company brand, brand in the culture the brand that, the brand that la- that basically like defines the culture um it it's 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 been it's been super humbling Jake was a, a Jake Burton was a very good friend, had become a friend and really had become a mentor. He became someone who, because of him choosing to see me, like see the whole me, um, he helped legitimize me in places where, and spaces that people maybe had just thought of me only as like a person who talked. You know what I mean? He, he was one of those people who saw saw what I had to give and um, that my passion was also about like having good ideas about what, what our culture really is. And that's how he engaged with me. And, but I never, there's just, there's just no way on earth that I ever would have thought I would have been presented with this opportunity. I mean, especially to lose him in the manner that we did Uh, a year and a half ago, and then to have the year that we've had, you know, and and like you said earlier, like this global civil rights movement that we've experienced and and bathed in and ended up shedding a halogen spotlight, blacklight almost, on any and all spaces that, that may be experiencing imbalance or inequity. Or lacked inclusion, etc., and suddenly people started having these bigger conversations about what that looked like. And when I got the call from from Jake's son, George, and 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 his and Donna Carpenter, uh, his widow, to ask if I would join the board, they said, "This is what Jake would have wanted." And we feel that you, that the time has never been more ripe than now. Um, And we would like to offer you a seat at the table. Do I think that my career, the last 25 years, do I think that that I've earned this position? Yes. Do I think that it would have happened this year without, those things taking place that we just described and what we've been through as a society. I don't think so. And, and for that, I am, I'm extra grateful. Um, I'm extra grateful. Like I, when I think about, and this might sound strange, but, when I think about someone like 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 this man George Floyd, who the whole world had to see as a human being that on any other given day would have walked walked by and thought, "What a piece of shit! What what a what a person who whose whose life is wasted, etc." If they'd if they'd seen him. Um, in any of the ways that people try to describe him, like, oh, well, he was this, he struggled with drugs, or he was cr- whatever, you know, all these things to make him less of a human being. That unfortunately, seeing his life taken away from him in this very, in this, in this, in this eight minute and 46 second arc. That's the only way that, he, that, that a person like his life suddenly be, actually became equal to other people's, was seeing it extinguished. And in turn, caused a wide swath of people who normally wouldn't have, it caused them to suddenly access a part of themselves to, to recognize um, the faults in our landscape that we, we discussed earlier. And that reverberated through an industry like the action sports industry that prior to this time had done a very, very good job of thinking of itself as immune to the conversation, thinking that because we are so built in stoke and life experience and joy and like the camaraderie of the shred that they couldn't possibly be any blind spots where, hey, by the way, this thing, for the most part, is built to exclude others, whether you like it or not. Um, I don't think that that happens in our industry, in this industry, the way that it's happening, without that taking place. And that's just, it's just raw and it's 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 humbling it's like it's really like that's how i look at this i look at this opportunity as being uh hopefully the first of many different people from many different cues and many different walks of life that get to contribute to the direction uh and to the expansion of what our landscape looks like. Um, and it's so, so it is, as much as I'm excited about it, it's, it's a lot bigger than me. um, And I'm, 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 I'm excited, but I'm also, I'm actually, ex- I'm, I'm humbled to, 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 to have this opportunity because I know that it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen right now without that
0: how has it been for you personally this last year? Because obviously you've been given, given whether, you know, whether you liked it or not, this kind of spokesperson figurehead role in our industry about what's the things we've been talking about. Um, how how's that been? It's been tough, man. It's, um, I have no
1: desire to be, uh, I don't wake up in the morning and go, like, ah, I'm so excited to be the spokesperson for race and inequality and injustice um, With within our industry. I want to talk about shredding. I want to talk about, like, grade 12 and, you know, all the different things, you know, the, the different talent that's emerging around the world. I want to talk about the culture um for the most part that's what i want to do i want to talk about doing the thing and experiencing the thing
0: but like everyone
1: like everyone just like everyone it's i want this thing to be what it is for everyone else which is a place to leave everything else behind
0: yeah i mean that's a great way that's a great way of putting it because and as you said like the the layers of privilege that have revealed a, a a you know, pretty horrifying as well, because, you know, most, most, like, no white people have ever had to consider what we do through that lens ever until six months ago. And, you know, that's, and obviously, I, I guess the other thing that struck me about this sort of role that's been thrust upon you as well is like, there's a lot of, please teach us, you know, there's, there's, a, there's that subtext going on, isn't there? There's like the, please help us understand what we need to do. And I, I've often, I just wonder, if that is aggravating at points because it's a bit like it's almost like again putting more pressure on you to provide answers to solutions that are well to problems that are everybody's problems, whether they're aware of them or not
1: if if um i I wish sometimes that I'd saved all the text messages and emails um that I got in the wake of George Floyd and that next month or two months and phone calls and people being like, Hey, I just wanted to pick your brain. and I want to talk about this. Help me to understand. And then at a certain point quickly, I just be like, I can't help you to understand. I need you to like open Google, ask it those questions, read a book, read some <laughs> shit. Here's a movie you can watch. And then at some point, we can have a discussion based on like what you've learned, but like, if you think I'm going to be here to like teach you this shit, I I'm sorry, I can't. And I I at a certain point within those first couple of weeks, and it was not just me; it was all black people with white friends found themselves in this position. It was crazy as having this conversation with so many friends, and not just in 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 our industry, but you're trying to deal with the grief and trauma. Of of how these things affect you as a black person, as it, as it affects any marginalized people. When something happens to to one of them, it happens to all of them. Um, in this case, we're talking about black people, but it it stretches across the landscape of of marginalized peoples from within the LGBTQ plus sector. You know, um, Muslim, Latin, call. I mean, it. And endless, like that's just what it is. And if you're not a marginalized person, it's very hard for people to comprehend. Like, what do you mean that that happening there makes you feel a certain way, and that you well, because I've been through that, or I've I've had a look at what that could be, and now I'm you're witnessing something that you actually have knowledge of. I think people were very surprised when I would do talks, and I've done a lot of talks um, to various aspects of the industry, you know, surf surf culture surfing industry, snowboarding industry, these big sort of bigger Zoom calls to um, to have these conversations. And then you tell people your personal experiences and how close you've been to being a statistic or or the different types of racism that you've experienced within the industry during the come up. And they're just like, they're in shock. They're slackjawed because they really have thought like, well, there's no way this exists or that I've wait, you're saying that I've actually been a part of perpetuating it um, because I didn't have any, uh, I was unaware. Um, and I'm, I'm, I am pleasantly surprised at the manner in which a certain sector within our industry has made it their choice that building inclusion and anti-racism into the culture of what their brands are and the culture of who the who they are as brands that that has become their goal not i've been surprised at the amount of people who don't just want to check a box but who actually want to con to that are learning that hey this choice is actually a lifelong choice That if I'm going to be this way, then this is the person I need to be on a regular basis. And this is the manner in which I need to adjust my lens prescription for how I see the world and in turn how it affects the way I'm I'm, I'm building culture within my brands. And that that part gives me hope that because for i think there were a lot of people who just thought like well this is just virtue signaling etc cetera, etc cetera. and i would say say to them like well was like removing sexually predatory nature and sexual harassment from your brand culture was that just ticking a box or has that provided a more stable um, more fruitful better culture within your brands where and they're like well yeah well that's this just another version of of that you i think it was easier for people to see it through that through 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 the um sexual identity lens because there's still an act of like someone doing something to someone else that they're all familiar with. But I think it's taken a little longer for people to realize that like certain types of behavior or, or blind spots uh, in the way people talk and think um, is actually doing something to someone else that, that makes them being there harder. It's harder for them to exist within, within that circle. Um, and I do have hope. And in turn, like, as much as I don't, that's not what I want to wake up and do every day. I will step up to the plate and work where I can, in a way that can be evade aid, if um, if people want to work with me. But it is, it, it's in a manner of exchange. It's not like I'm here to give. We're if we're going to do that, it's going to be in in, in professional exchange.
0: Well, I got one one final question to wrap it up, if that's all right, and it's it's to bring it back to the wider themes that we were talking about earlier because you know essentially what we were talking about earlier was this. Is gonna sound really banal like but you know light and dark like whether people are basically completely horrible cynical bastards who just want to hurt each other or basically whether such a thing as a community is possible you know a bit bit of a classic debate um and what what do you think now you know obviously you you talked about your parents sounds like your parents pretty obvious way parents stood um but you've experienced both sides of human nature through through your life like we all have and you know we talked about the administrations and about how they've really weaponized the 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 worst parts of human nature um and that's been horrifying you know these are kind of the themes we've been discussing so when you look at it in that context if we kind of like you know zoom it out um how how do you feel about that now what's what's your take do you do you, do you feel like it's I'm not going to re ask the same question I asked earlier but you know in these framing it in this way what, what 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 how are you currently feeling about that
1: it's work change is 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 work and in the building of anything sometimes you you do what you can and then you pass along those tools to someone else and they continue it on. Um, and it's work, it's legacy work. So I, I think that, that, that I am hopeful because I see people doing the work and, and I I see some active change taking place and yes, the I think it's working because of the exact reasons that you just mentioned. The the the, the manners in which the powers that be are working over time and double time to 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 weaponize um, to to weaponize against progress. That lets me know that something we're, we're doing something right and that we as as, as I, I I think that our human nature um, is is best steeped in 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 an idea of of uh, equity and 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 common ground. I, I, call me cheesy or whatever. Like the cynics would probably be like ah, but I that's how I believe, and so I I will continue to do. What little I can to throw some seasoning in in this this big old gumbo that we're that we're making, but like sitting by and being hopeless and being angry is exhausting, and I ain't giving people that energy. Like I'm not I'm not gonna deplete my storehouse out of um, just seeing the fucked upness in the world and and the people who want to perpetuate that. So we um we continue and we move on and we really actively celebrate every day um, cuz i do think it is it is magical to be here even especially in 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 this time and to be able to like think about what 40 years from now might look like if uh if goodness wins i'm here to find out what that might be
0: Thanks so much, man. That was great. Really enjoyed that.
1: I really enjoyed it as well, man. I, I really uh, appreciate being able to get into the into the marrow a bit, you know.
0: Yeah, it was really, really fascinating. Yeah, shame we couldn't do it in person. Really, one day. All right, it's Matt. So hold that thought. So we recorded this episode. I think it was two days before what happened um, at the Capitol in Washington. And obviously I thought it would be great to get Salaman's thoughts on that. So what I did is I asked him to record me a little postscript and send me that, um, which is what he did. So here it is. Nice one.
1: What can I say about the storming of the Capitol? Shit. I mean, I'm not shocked I was surprised at the scale of it in the moment and it was it was really really hard to to watch because you felt it it felt it, it felt like the the capital was more of a metaphor of like the storming of the consciousness of America some like that's how I looked at it like yeah okay they're 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 going in there to literally uh try and overthrow or stop uh an election from being certified, and they're carrying fucking Trump flags and beating people with American flags and having the audacity to carry the racist. Racist, um, Confederate flag through the halls, and all of that. All of that was, was, and you know, the, and the, just the rabid, like, look of of hate and anger. And a dark, dark, dark collective passion f- for this lie. And for this idea that. Um, a democracy doesn't work it's only a democracy if your side wins that 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 part was it was all crazy to watch in real time but and, and all and just the the overwhelming and decided um just racist energy even though, yes, there were people there of other races, but I'm like, you have to self-hate yourself immensely to, uh, to, to decide that you, that's what you wanna run with, but that's another conversation. But again, at the end of the day, for me, it just felt like what it felt like as opposed to just what I was seeing or what was happening on paper. It just felt like an, ass- a, 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 an assault and a challenge for the definition of what our collective conscious energy is going to be in this country, and there were people who really thought that by going in there and um, standing for this, f- for this fascist wannabe shit dictator in Donald Trump, that they were. Um, that they were engaged in some sort of righteousness. I do think that there were a bunch of people in there who thought that they were engaging in something, that their hate just is actually righteous. That was, that's the part that like, that shit really fucked me up. And it was just, I think for a lot of people, a lot of people woke up to like, Oh, you can make jokes all you want about QAnon and the Proud Boys and how absurd in re how in reality, how absurd what they believe and stand for is relative to where we are in this part of the century, and this part of humanity. Um but as absurd and and amusing as it might be for to to look at from the outside in like there ain't no nothing funny about this shit this shit is meant this is what the the end result is of people bathing in conspiracy and in in, in bathing in information and news that af- allows them to um believe believe what they want to believe as opposed to what is true like that at the end of the day it was what it was for me like oh this is what happens when you have a landscape um, that allows people to just you know believe in what they want to believe as opposed to what is true and then literally want to mandate that, like, everyone else should (laughs) believe um, this shit that, like, makes me feel good whether it's true or not. I was also struck by the difference in tone collectively at a societal level, like, within our, our like, the culture reaction here in America of People immediately wanting to feel sorry for these people who made the active choice. Like, they made the choice to get on planes and um, hope within their collective energy that they were going to, like, overthrow and change the course of a system that we all agree on. Like, in democracy and they felt justified and righteous in doing so. And many of them were willing to do whatever it took when it, when it came to, you know, there were people who were there for bodies. They decidedly wanted to, to kidnap, hang, abuse, kill members of, um, members of the Senate, and of the, of the Congress, um, maybe even the vice president, to get their way. They were beating people with the American flag. <laughs> they killed a police officer. Five people died. They ransacked the Capitol of the, the Capitol building, which is supposed to be like this sanctified place when it comes to what the definition of uh, America, what what America stands for. They didn't like fuck up a Target or, um, you know, some other business like, they stepped all over and, and, and and destroyed the thing that you're supposed to hold dear. And then we... I just was really, really blown away by the manner in which people were like, well, you know, yes, that happened, but we should use it as a sign to believe, uh, to, to to reach out and find healing. You know, let's pretend like that didn't happen and let's talk about healing. And, you know, when it came, when it comes to to what we've experienced with black lives matter, like nobody was willing to, to say, Hey, let's, let's actually, no, no, no one was saying, Hey, let's figure out what's going on and what kind of, how can we find some healing? People were like, black lives matter is a Marxist organization and these are all thugs. And, you know, immediately went into like all lives matter and blue lives matter. And, a line was drawn in the sand for a very loud minority in this country. There's absolutely no way that you're going to get me to listen or to sympathize with any of it. I don't believe in it, in, in, in what you guys are talking about. And all those people should, should, should be arrested and or worse. and an insurrection is performed a seditious insurrection is performed in the capital of the capital building the, the 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 a building that stands for democracy and what the democracy is supposed to be and um, those people got on planes and went back to their hotels and got on planes and were served And went home, obviously, some got put on no-fly lists and now, you know, arrests are being made. But, like, immediately you watch the television and people are talking about, you know, well, we we need to figure out why these people did this. Let's try and understand them. 74 million people. um, We have to think about them. We have to think about the people who lost and you know, figure out how to to make peace with them. No, we don't. No, we don't. That's not how democracy works. You have an election. You have a winner. And that person gets to institute the ideas and, you know, put together uh, some plans that may or may not work that a guide uh, wh- what what the next four years looks like. And if you have a problem with that, and you have a problem with what they're doing, and you criticize them, you hold their feet to the fire, um, you organize, you protest peacefully, You um, and you figure out how to get a candidate up there that uh, is going to stand for what you believe in or what you would like to see. But you don't get to... You don't get to (laughs) You don't get to to change the outcome of the game because you don't look like what it looks like on the scoreboard. At the end of a of a of a of a football game. You don't look up you no one's looking at the scoreboard and be like, What did we Yes, my but my team scored two points. What do they get? Nothing. Because the other team scored four. You thank them for a good game and you see them back on the pitch with the same rules sometime in the future. And your team's going to figure out what they can do better so that they can be the victor the next time. But you don't get to go and climb the storm, the stadium and change the scoreboard. That's not how it works. No one says, hey, you know, but that team lost and they look over there, they're sad. We should figure out a way to make them feel like they won. That's not, how, that's not how life works. But for some reason, in this country, when it comes to ideas that are rooted in white supremacy and white nationalism, everybody wants to be like, well, we need to understand them. Let's find a way to make unity with them, make, make peace with them. And those people usually end up finding ways to enact in more bullshit because they never get their feet held to the fire. That's what, that, it literally is like the definition of white privilege in America. Because if that had been a majority black, majority brown people, who decided to storm the capitol building, the steps of that building would have been drenched in blood. And they sure as hell would not have been able to walk out afterwards or be helped down the stairs and go back to their hotels to celebrate and have beers and get back on planes and go home to high-five their families. Sad that it happened. But at the same time, I hope that it, that it, um, that it causes some level of, of awakening within people of how far we have to go to actually be a country um, whose conscience is one of, that that desires equity. And it was just a reminder to me that like, this country doesn't desire equity, doesn't desire equality. And a certain, a small but loud An inherently powerful group of people will do everything they can and spend the entirety of their their energy and their lives to accumulate power and fight against progress. Do everything they can to turn back the hands of time to make people feel like yesterday Yesterday was better than tomorrow. Those are my thoughts.
0: So there you go. That was me and Salema. And what a brilliant mind, like I said, and what a fantastic conversation. As you could probably tell, I very much enjoyed that episode. Um, And I'm really grateful for Salema and Amador for all the help in bringing that one to fruition. If you're of a mind to find out more about him, Instagram would be the best place to start. And make sure you subscribe to his podcast, "What Shapes Us," as well, which is also really great. And while you're over at Instagram, why not follow me over at We Look Sideways and give this episode a share, so more people can hear it. Go on, couple of clicks done. Big thanks if you decided to do that. All right, it's the housekeeping corner. Gotta say, I'm really gratified by how many people seem to be enjoying these little diversions at the end of the show. I've had people asking for. Housekeeping Corner merch, and somebody the, the other day described it like the secret track at the end of the album, You're Old, I can tell. It's worth sticking around for. Anyway, if you are he- still here and listening, that makes you one of the die I'm very grateful for it, and as usual, thank fuck the rest of them have gone, eh? While I'm chatting about listeners, I just want to give a big shout out to listener Simon Joyson, who's been undertaking the Herculean task of listening to every single episode of the podcast in sequence since he discovered it last year. Simon first got in touch to tell me this at the time, and I've got to be honest, I thought he was taking the piss. I mean, that is literally thousands of hours of listening. But it appears he's heroically stuck to his task, messaging me at the time of recording this episode to report that he's made his way to episode 139, which means at this rate, it's going to be a few weeks before he listens to this episode. But here's a little Easter egg for you, Simon. And if you're listening, well, I salute you. Thanks for the dedication. Had a pretty busy few weeks myself, actually. I mentioned this elsewhere and also on Instagram. But I've been working on the latest volume of Curator magazine, an independent snowboarding publication published by my friend Tassilo. Hey guys, how you say it? Sorry, Taz. Anyway, he brought me into Actors Editor last year and we did it again this year. We worked together with a few other people pulling this whole thing together and what an absolute privileged that has been. We've just sent the thing to print. It should be out in a couple of weeks. It features stories with Gimbal God, Jamie Lynn, Cersei Wallace, Sarka, Jeff Brushy john jackson there's a retrospective on boarding for breast cancer there's a piece with matt george by jerome tannon there's an interview with ellen High. there's loads of stuff there's loads more than that as well we've worked our arse off on that i've got to be honest and i'm really proud of it it's over 20 years since i edited my first snowboarding magazine and if you told me back then that i'd still be doing it in 2021 i would have laughed you out of the place then again if you would told me about the whole donald trump thing i would have Definitely left you out of the place. I will say though, um, one thing that hasn't changed in those 20 years is how absolutely slack as fuck professional snowboarders are at getting back to you when there's a deadline looming. So, actually, everyone, I'm going to say. So, let's just say the next time there's a round of those heartfelt, support print Instagram messages when the next round of magazines go bust. I'm not going to take them that seriously, to be honest. If you want to support print, answer your fucking emails when someone's chasing you to do pictures, text, or anything on deadline. That'd really help. Anyway, rant over, but please support Independent Action Sports Publishing by ordering a copy from curatorpublishing.com. Or if you prefer... Taz is actually going to do a discount for Looking Sideways listeners, which I'll be sending out with a future newsletter. To get that, you'll need to sign up via the link at my website, www.wearelookingsideways.com. And make sure you check your junk and trash for the opt-in link. It is absolutely staggering to me how many people don't do this after they sign up. Because you even get a thing that says make sure you check your spam and junk for the follow-up email. And then I still get people saying, oh, I'm not signed up to your newsletter. And I'm like, we didn't opt in. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. I mean, they do say people have short attention spans these days. But yeah, there you go. Anyway, if you want that curator discount link, newsletter, opt in, junk, spam mail, have a look. All of this means that the Looking Sideways book has been put back a few weeks. But who's in a rush? I mean, we can't leave our houses for the next two months. And I think a spring release is going to be perfect for this one. So uh, it'll, it'll be finished when it's finished. Let's put it that way. All right. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week with another one. Nice one.